Okay, welcome everybody. This is Jim Barton and Reverend Abigail Conley, and we're back again with Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, today, we're going to do one of our scriptural lessons. We're going to talk about um, a couple of passages from Leviticus. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and share that I thought we had to do this because I'm now Abby's become a celebrity. She's a performer in the uh, vagina monologues, and so she's like sort of outgrowing the podcast. But as long as she still has her feet on the ground, we'll, we'll keep her. So with that, um, Abby, this passage talks about all about cleanliness and uncleanliness. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for the Hebrews? Yeah. So um, I think as Christians, we have a particularly skewed view of cleanliness and uncleanliness because when we read especially epistles we're like oh well being unclean is just this horrible thing that you should never ever happen when in reality it's part of daily life like this is going to happen it's inevitably going to happen that you become ritually unclean and what that basically means is you might have to wait until you do certain things or you can't go to worship yet you don't go into this holy place um, and with, gather with all the people there. So there's always a system for how you become clean again. There's always a system for what this takes. It might be a sacrifice. It might only be time. It might be going to the priest. If you look at the, like, you have a skin lesion things, then, you know, it's the priest's job to examine you and, like, be your dermatologist, essentially, right. and see what's going on. So it's not this horrible thing that can never be rectified. It's part of life. And it's kind of like anything else is part of life. It comes and goes. And in some ways it adds a holy meter to all of those natural things in life. Um, that it's not just, well, this thing happened, so, you know, go take a shower, finish that. It's like, no, there's, a, there's something that matters in God's eyes about this. Yeah, so it doesn't... Everyone is going to be clean and unclean just by just by living. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of I was in nuclear power for about ten years, and in that time we talked about contamination drills, and we would pretend that someone was contaminated or someone would be contaminated, and you would decontaminate them. And, and people would always say, "You're allowed to talk if you're contaminated. You're not cursed. You're contaminated. We're going to do what it takes to uncontaminate you. You're not cursed. You're unclean right now. We're going to do what it takes to make you clean again." Right. So. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of specific items um, since I, I, I brought my Bible here as a crib note since these are some pretty specific uh, <laughs> passages. So in Leviticus 12, it talks about what to do if a woman has given birth to a baby. And so interestingly, obviously we're very pro giving birth, but the process of giving birth makes you ritually unclean according to Leviticus. And if it is a, if it is a boy, then for eight days she's unclean. And then um, after the boy is circumcised, she goes through a ritual of bathing and such, and then she gets uh, 33 days, and then she comes back into the community, and she's good. Um, if it's a girl, no circumcision, but she's uh, unclean for two weeks, and it's 66 days after the ritual cleaning that she comes back. So that's interesting. And then when she does come back, the, the mother, by the way, I noticed the mother is the one who makes the, the sacrifice offering. She makes an offering of a lamb, a burnt offering of a lamb before the priest. She can't afford a lamb, then they can do a pigeon, and so they have like a pauper's exception, which is interesting. Then if we flip over to um, Leviticus 15, 24, it basically talks about what you do um, anytime a woman has her period. And so it says that, um, first off, it's curious to me, it says it lasts only seven days. And 
I'm not sure that's a gynecologically uh, accurate that you can sort of say the same thing for every particular woman, but that's what it says. And then it says that um, after the conclusion of it, um, the person is cleansed, and then the, after being cleansed, the woman comes back into the community um, after she's had her period. And then it has all this stuff about if someone touches her while she's on her period, then that person is unclean, and if, the, if they have sex, then that the person with whom she has sex is unclean, all that kind of business. So it's pretty detailed dealing with these two things. Um, and now the question is, who cares? Like, right. should we, do these passages matter at all? Or are they just whatever extra stuff sort of floating around to make fun of? So I think, first of all, we have to talk about the shame around women's issues. And that includes menstruation um, in particular. It's very ironic that I am sitting here talking with you, a man, about this passage because I was raised where, you know, you don't discuss anything like that in mixed company. Yeah. And, you know, when you're a teenager or a tween and get your period, you work very hard to conceal that from everyone. There's no, um, there's no like, oh yeah, there's just, here's my purse with my tampons in it. It's, you know, how do I hide this? How do I slide it up my sleeve? How do I get it into the bathroom without anyone knowing? There is, interestingly, a product now that has like a bright neon stripes and stuff on it that is a tampon that is like, in, it's directed against that. Right. Like, what, this isn't something to hide. Right. You know, marketing, I guess. Yes. But I guarantee the girls who are still <laughs> using those are still hiding those. Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we, we end up around those issues. Um, and in the same way that, you know, I'm guessing there are people who read this and they're like, wait, this is a thing that happens, especially around childhood. They don't realize that, you know, there's the god-awful version of the period that happens for days and days right. after childhood. And I think men, even knowing that, even though they have kids, there was a time when that didn't happen. Like, that was kind of what happened that women did, and, and who knows, and they just stayed far away. So a lot of the shame, I think, that we have as a culture around menstruation. Um, so it, it, what this passage does for us is it reminds us that as faithful people, as Christians, frankly, we have to bear some of the responsibility for this shame around feminine sexuality and even just being female, right? right? Um, without regard to sexuality that, that has been imposed on our culture, mm -hmm. that we as Christians have to accept some responsibility of having adopted some of this some of the, frankly, some of the bad things from this ancient tradition that has moved forward and still sort of continues to affect our, infect our culture today. Right. Um, and it's very, it's very telling, I think, when you say, well, like seven days, who knows gynecologically that what it is. Well, the middle school boy saying is don't trust anything that bleeds for seven days and doesn't die. Right. Somehow right. those things have still seeped into kind of popular imagination. So the shame around that is real. The other thing that it does do, though, is normalize these things, and I think that's helpful, especially when we talk about sexual education. This is not something the church has excelled at, to yeah. put it mildly. Right. Um, we get nervous around it. Uh -huh. Sex is so much a part of our life. It's so such a part of our thinking and our, frankly, our marketing and our every part of where we are. If we're going to be Christians, moving in the world, we have to talk about these things, even if it makes you uncomfortable. When you were announcing to the church that you were doing the vagina monologues, right? you didn't say vagina monologues. I did not say vagina. 
and I actually asked some other pastors, how do I get around this? Right. And that's how I got around it was one just said, you know, I normally say like, well, yeah, there's this word that makes us uncomfortable, so I'm not going to say it, but... And I think that's fine. I think I think it's I think that was a I think it was a fine choice. Um, and who knows? It, it, you know, there, it could have made people it could have made people unnecessarily uncomfortable. Right. I guess. So then the question is: Is it necessary or unnecessary? Announcing a play that you're in maybe isn't the time, but it is something we should talk about more. And um, you know, I think about some of those very specific church scenarios where I've made people uncomfortable. Because I would totally, I wouldn't say penis in front of the congregation right, right, either. Right, like right, let's, right. unless there was a really good reason. Right. And, um, especially with, you know, we keep kids in worship. So all of those things come into play. But I actually think of a year I was directing camp and I had directed camp that was junior age group. So like fourth and fifth graders. So inevitably, those just-finished fifth graders, you have some girls who get their periods for the first time ever right. at camp, right. which is its own special breed of horrible, and right. I totally right. own that. But the first time I'd had that happen, you know, I was 23, 24, not remotely prepared to deal with that conversation, and I had the totally inappropriate, like, oh, I'm so sorry. When it's like, right, no, you're supposed to lie to kids at that age and be like, great, this is wonderful, right. let's give you tools to handle it. So a couple years later, I'm directing camp, and you know I have the counselors there, and it's just like, hey. So I brought pads and tampons. I brought the feminine hygiene products that a young girl would need, yeah. not you know what I would use. And so if this happens, you know, talk to them, send right. them to me. And the guy who was overall an awesome guy, so I'm probably just going to send them to the nurse. And it was like. Well, there's no reason to send them to a nurse. This isn't right. an injury. Right, right, this right. is like part of biology. And realizing our discomfort with just this basic biological function. This thing that if you have 10 and 11 year old girls around is part might be part of their reality. Right. Was really telling. And how far we had to go in normalizing that. Yeah. Even though we have scriptures that accept this as part of life. Yeah, it's right. I mean, it does invite us to talk about it. Doesn't invite us to talk about. So. Well, I think that's right. I think that it's like um, I don't think there's a lot of analogies we can take out from like separating women for 33 or 66 days, or I don't think we can say, well, this is like whatever. I, right. I, but I do think it's an interesting topic, and I particularly think it's important, as you pointed out, for us to use it to recognize our role in some bad stuff, frankly, that's in our culture, and that we, as a faithful people, kind of have a responsibility to respond to. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap us up for um, this episode. Um, until next time, cheers.